Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to all of you who have sired any children. And obviously, we're grateful that we have the, the perfect the perfect character, the perfect image to emulate as fathers, uh, godly fathers from our heavenly father. So uh, definitely enjoy this day, uh, however the Lord leads you uh, with your family and and uh, and friends, uh, even if it is from a distance. <clears throat> well, church, we are going to head into Acts chapter 15 verses 6 through 11 this morning. So let me just go ahead and and pray and we'll go ahead and read the text this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we we just thank you again for today. We thank you for, Lord, your provisions for us, Lord, that you provide a way out of sin, a way of escape from the trappings of this world through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you that You love us equally. You show no partiality to any person. Your desires at all acknowledge your son Jesus Christ, but more than just acknowledge him, that they come to receive the gift of salvation, repent of their sins, and are freed and liberated from the bondage of sin and death in this world. And so we just thank you that we don't have to earn favor with you or earn any merit with you. Our salvation is not based on our performance, but is solely based on the work of your son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood. Thank you that you give us that free gift. It costs you everything, but for us, we simply have to decide to humble ourselves and joyfully receive the gift. So, Father, may you speak now through your word. May you touch our hearts. May we be changed forevermore from uh, your word this morning as we move on into the next phase of our lives and help us to just live out our faith truly. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'll go ahead and begin Acts chapter 15 verses 6 through 11. Excuse me. And it says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that the In the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. I've entitled this message, No Division in Christ, meaning Christ is not divided. There is nothing in him. If you are in Christ, you can't be divided. You can't have division in your heart because he doesn't have any division. And today we're going to get a more in-depth look into this dispute between 
the apostles and these Judaizers who were teaching that in order for these newly converted Gentiles to be saved, they had to, yes, they had to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they also had to keep the law of Moses. They had to uh, complete the rite of circumcision and, and, and all these different uh, traditions and rituals that they had. So <clears throat> we're going to get a better understanding of what actually was said during this uh, dispute in order to understand uh, more thoroughly why that was false and what is the true means of salvation and how we as believers should go about sharing that with other people. <clears throat> the the apostles taught one is only saved by grace alone, while uh, th- some of these Jewish Christians taught that, again, you must be saved by Jesus plus keeping the law of Moses. We will hear directly from Peter's own words inspired by the Holy Spirit, why that way of thinking of salvation is false. Though this may seem basic to some, many Christians, even today, have a very blurred understanding of how they are actually saved. This is the main reason why Scripture continually speaks of how one is saved. That is because it is quite easy for individuals to become led astray and to become misled thinking that they know the truth when the veil has been pulled over their eyes, unfortunately, and they don't recognize that it's only by Jesus Christ that one is saved. The main points that we will focus on this morning, I'll begin with the first one, and it is simply this. It was God's decision to allow Gentiles access to his son and access to him through Jesus Christ. It is the Lord who is sovereign and all-knowing. He is the only one who has all wisdom. And in his infinite wisdom, he thought it best that all people have the opportunity to be saved. He alone determines the manner and method that people would receive salvation. So by these Judaizers teaching that Gentiles must be saved by keeping the law plus Jesus, they were putting themselves in direct opposition to God, to the God who they claimed to to love and to serve. The second main point this morning is this. In God's eyes concerning race or ethnicity, we are all the same. We must remember that His ways are not our ways. That's why he, being in infinite wisdom and infinite genius, can create all different types of races of people, but at the same time, give equal value to all different people, meaning all people groups, he can give this same equal value. That is why you can be either a Jew or a Gentile, and God sees no distinction between the two. That is, as long as they have received the gift of salvation. Because I truly believe there are only two different kinds of people that Jesus Christ sees. And that is, those that are saved and those that are unsaved. We as his creation have taken it upon ourselves to give either more or less value to one another. And that's a very sad thing that we see still going on in the world today. That's the second point. The third main point this morning is this. It is simply foolish to put God to the test. Well, what does it mean to put God to the test? Well, this is actually something more common than you would probably think. 
Because the reality is this, whenever we willfully disobey him, we are, in essence, putting God to the test. For these Jewish Christians, it was trying to get these new believers to fall in line with their beliefs in addition to the salvation that was offered by Jesus Christ alone. For us today, it could be a number of different things, and I'm not going to go down the list of how we could potentially put God to the test, but I will simply say this. Anytime you and I consciously or unconsciously engage in activities that are contrary to what the Bible teaches, we are putting God to the test. Now that we know what our main points are this morning, let's go ahead and dive into the scripture. And I'll begin again in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. The first thing we see in these first two verses here is that these leaders, the leaders of the church, they came together to decide the issue. They, they came together to, to, to talk about it, to figure out what was going on. They didn't just let the issue sit and fester, nor did they just leave it up to the conscious, the conscience, excuse me, of each believer to figure it out. The matter was way too important for that. They had to dive in and figure out a solution, get to the bottom of the problem. I have a question. How do you handle disputes in your personal life? Do you address the issue or do you just ignore it and let life play out how it may? You see, the question raised by the Jerusalem Council was intense. Are Christians made right with God by faith alone or by a combination of faith and obedience of the law of Moses? Is the work of Jesus by itself enough to save the one who trusts in Christ? Or must we add to our or add to the work of Jesus in order to be made right with God? And we know clearly absolutely not. Only the blood of Christ can save one's soul. But because there's so many, there were so many doctrinal issues, it had to be addressed. And honestly, truthfully today, because there are still so many doctrinal issues, having this sort of teaching about correct doctrine would truly be beneficial for some churches. For us to reset and get back to the truth of what the church is supposed to represent. We're supposed to represent Jesus Christ, not all these other things that we have added on to <clears throat> our church experience. Next, we will see that something uh, amazing was going to come out of this conversation, and it would have been amazing to physically be there and to witness this, because this is what was going on. Christians were serious enough about the truth to dispute for it, to fight for it, to engage about it. The application for our lives today is this. As you know, with everything going on, uh, the current state of, of the world and our culture today, 
we are debating about a whole lot of things. We are in dispute about a whole lot. There are debates and disputes about when to reopen the economy, when to reopen the country and allow this this shelter in place to be lifted. There are a lot of debates and 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 uh, disputes about whether or not to defund the police with so much uh, uh you know injustice going on and and things of that nature. There are many debates about when professional sports should resume. Should they take a hiatus? Should they come back? Uh, You know, we debate about the best investments to make at this time uh, because of the uncertainty of the economy. But when it comes to a person's salvation, are we just as passionate to speak up about these issues, to speak up about the salvation of oneself? Are we are we just as passionate? Are we just as quick to dispute and debate incorrect doctrine? When others say that they know God without knowing Jesus Christ, do we dispute that lovingly? Because the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is God. He is the perfect incarnation of God. And so you cannot know God the Father without knowing Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. And so when we're faced with those situations, what do we do? How do we uh how do we address those things? This is why we need to understand what scripture says in the correct context. So when these kind of issues arise, we simply can point people to the Word of God because the Scripture speaks for itself. Maybe sometimes people get, uh, you know, discouraged because you don't want to seem combative. But you know what? If somebody's coming against what you believe in Christ, they're not coming against you. They're coming against the Lord Himself. Oh, how we desperately need this mentality in the church today. To have men and women who are willing to side with Christ over being popular or over gaining fortune and fame. It's it's encouraging because we see Peter in the mix right here, stepping up to share his perspective on the matter. Peter was credible to speak since he not only was a disciple of Jesus himself, but he was used, remember, to preach to a large number of mixed people, Jews and Gentiles, at Pentecost, and he witnessed a great number become saved. It was this credibility that backed up Peter confirming, excuse me, uh, uh, backing up Paul, confirming what Paul was teaching was right as they brought this matter to the council. What Peter was basically saying was that God himself decided that the Gentiles should hear his word and have the opportunity to be saved. Even though Peter was used by God to speak, these Judaizers weren't opposing Peter. Again, they were opposing the God that Peter served. And what these Judaizers were were teaching, they were saying, God, you're wrong and we're right, even though they didn't truly understand that's what they were saying. Two quick things um, I, I think we need to really point out in the statement that Peter made. The first one is this, and you can find it in 2 Peter 3.9. I'm loosely paraphrasing this, but it's clear that God's desire is that none perish, but that all come to repentance and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So that's clear 
clearly made known in that specific script scripture and there are others that speak to that as well the second uh, point we need to focus on is this found in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 and it tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God so you see when you see the evidence in scripture it is certain that God did not want the Gentiles to perish that he would provide a way for them to believe by hearing the word preached. And guess what? This method of how one is saved still applies today. And that's why it's so very important that you and I, in our sphere of influence, being prayed up, being led by the Holy Spirit, go to wherever he's calling us to go and speak to whoever he's calling us to speak to and to share the truth of the gospel, whether that's sending a, a message, sending a text, calling somebody on the phone, uh, zooming them, whatever it may be, basically just getting outside of ourselves and understanding that there's a dying world out there and people des- desperately need the gospel. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to verse eight. And it says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And that's Peter speaking of what God did for the Gentiles. So now we're we're getting a little bit more in depth about how the Lord saved these Gentiles or what, you know, how he got to, to their heart. Peter begins with the history lesson, basically recounting the work God had already done. Then he made the point that God had fully received the Gentiles apart from them being circumcised. God received them. They didn't have to become circumcised in order for them to be received by God. And that would have been very painful. I I don't even want to try to imagine that as a grown adult having to be circumcised to be received by God. My gosh, that's torturous. God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. This statement right here is crystal clear. If God had acknowledged these Gentiles as full partners in his work, then why shouldn't the church have? The church should If God received them, then of course the church should have received these same Gentiles. So what does this mean for us today? The application is this. Unfortunately, sometimes this train of thinking is still persistent in today's church when it shouldn't be at all. The fact that someone doesn't look like you or me or come from a different background than you and I should never be a reason for us not to be fully engaged with them and invite them into the family of God if they have confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even if they're curious about understanding who Jesus is, just because they're different doesn't mean we should not allow them to come and seek the Lord if they so choose. It is God himself who sought out to save these Gentiles. That should provide enough evidence that his care, his love, and his concern are equal for all people. Lastly, we see that the receiving of the Holy Spirit can only happen by God giving of himself to an individual, by God giving his Holy Spirit to an individual. This is how this happens. Again, it is a it is a gift. It's not something that you can earn. There's no magic formula that you can conjure up to try to summon the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember uh, earlier on in the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 18, Simon the sorcerer, remember he tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, and that was a very 
foolish thing to do because he was harshly rebuked for that action. He thought that he could purchase the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit is a product on a shelf that you can shake up in a bottle and put out on your hands, lather up and put on your body, and all of a sudden you have magical powers. It's not how it works at all. Cannot be bought with a price. By Peter expressing that God had given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, just as he did the Jews, he was showing again how God had clearly accepted them as his own without them having to keep the law of Moses. They totally misunderstood the purpose of the law, these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians. The law was meant to show us how wretched we are and how much we cannot live up to God's standard and that we need a savior, not not try harder and add even more things to the law to try to, uh, you know, obey it. That's that's not what the law was meant to do. It's like when you read the Ten Commandments, I mean, you get to the second commandment, the third commandment, it's already broke. For sure, you're going to get through the ten and you've broken one of them. We already know it's not even a matter of action. It's a matter of the heart. So that's the crazy thing about all that. We need to just truly accept the gift of salvation in Christ. All right, let's go ahead and move on to verse 9. And it says, And he made no distinction, speaking of God, between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. This is such a powerful statement. This statement had floored me this week. This statement had basically confirmed all the things that I personally am witnessing going on in the world today through the news and through the media. The fact that God makes no distinction between us and them. He said, having cleansed their hearts by faith. I personally see this as God reminding them And God reminding us, God reminding me of how much we're not naturally like him. Remember, Peter was given the vision of the clean and unclean animals. Remember when the the, the sheet came down from heaven and the Lord said, rise up, uh, kill and eat. And Peter was like, no, 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 I can't do it. I've never had anything unclean in my mouth. And God basically said, whatever I have made clean, do not call unclean. So he made the distinction that whatever the Lord has made clean, it is clean. In his perfection and holiness, God sees his creation through a lens that we, this side of heaven, rarely see through. Unless we are truly aligning our lives under the power and authority of God. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9. And I'll read them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. We are also told in First Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. And this is again a loose translation. When Samuel was led to Jesse's home, remember to anoint uh, David to be the, become the king of uh, king of Israel. Basically, the Lord revealed to Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but God, He looks at the individual's heart. He looks at the character and the content of the individual, not what they look like on the outside. Remember, David was the runt in the back, 
tending to the tending to the sheep while everyone else was big and strong and tall and handsome and, and, and looked the part of what a king would look like, but that's not what God was after. We are also reminded in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, that for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, but it did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And I share these these several verses because it is very important to understand because as God, he sees no distinction between people because of race or culture. He's looking at the heart of the individual. He has created people of various races and cultures, so he must be okay with that because he's the creator. He created people. He created you and I to look the way we look for a reason. Think of it this this way. When you look at the flowers of the field and you look at the trees that are planted and you look at the animals that are roaming the earth, are they all one color, one certain shape, or one certain size? Absolutely not. There is variation. There's variety. And that variation and variety speaks to our Lord's limitless creativity and genius. You see, but the problem arises when we, as created beings, have decided upon ourselves to give certain people either more or less value than others. Just as it was with the Jews and the Gentiles, so it has been with various races in our own country. An example, and it is present today. We see it all over the news. But the reality is racism is rooted in sin. That may be hard for some people to believe and understand, but racism is rooted in sin. And until you personally confront the issue of sin in your life with the person of Jesus Christ, racism will continue to prevail. You see, racism is man-made, and you cannot fight a man-made problem with a man-made solution. I'm not making this uh, sermon political at all. All I'm trying to share is that we need Christ. We need Christ to solve the the problems that we are having in our world and in our country. You see, because the reality is this, we as created people, as created beings, we created segregation of all types. Honestly, you shouldn't have churches that are made up of one specific race. We should have churches filled with a variety of racial groups. And if not, when a visitor comes from a different race, they should be genuinely welcomed because the common ground is our belief in Jesus Christ. I have a question, and the question is simply this. How can a created being be justified in placing greater or less value on another created being? How can that be justified? How can that be acceptable? How can that be right? It can't be. And yet, this is another reason why we need to know our Creator. Hence, 
we can understand and receive our true value as a person, as people. But you see, this flawed man-made value system touches on every level of human life, not just race, but class as well. This is why we are warned in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I will read this. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay your attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. What I do believe the Lord sees is the major difference in humanity is simply this. Saved and unsaved. Saved and unsaved. That is what the Lord sees as a distinction. For instance, you take the sacred covenant of a biblical marriage, right? The first institution that was ever created was the institution of marriage, the covenant of marriage. Nowhere in scripture do you see it taught that you shouldn't marry outside of your race. But you are warned, and the Jews were warned time and time again, not to intermarry with those of an opposing faith. Interfaith marriages are discouraged by the Bible, but not, uh, you know, interracial marriages they're they're not discouraged you can be of a different race and if you believe in jesus christ that's the common ground you stand on that's going to solidify your marriage but you are never to be unequally yoked god sees sinners and sinners saved that's what he sees next we see peter showed how the heart is purified the heart is purified by faith not by keeping the law. It's by having faith in Jesus Christ. If, they, if these new believers were purified by faith, then there was no need for them to be purified by submitting to ceremonies, uh, ceremonious laws found in the law of Moses. Christians are not saved just by faith. They are also purified by faith. He cleansed these Gentiles' hearts by faith back then, and he can do The same for us today. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and end with these last two verses, 10 and 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So here we see Peter went on to ask the question, why were they testing God? Knowing the truth, yet they willfully chose to disobey. It's one thing to have never known, right? When we don't know something, 
We're just ignorant. That's what ignorance is, to not know, to not understand, to not have a grasp of what's going on. It's like when a baby, my my daughter Tirza, she wants to grab anything she can and put it in her mouth. She doesn't know any better. She's teething. But it's foolish to, you know, have my son, Kalos, who just graduated kindergarten uh, on on Friday, and if he's running around putting every single thing in his mouth, sucking on it like a baby, that doesn't make any sense. He knows better. It's foolish to have been taught the truth, but yet refuse it. And this is what these Judaizers were doing. They had been doing for so long. Uh, you think about it. From the time of their captivity, they had been testing the Lord in the wilderness. Remember, once they came out of Egypt... You know, they complained about not having meat. Oh, we're starving. We need the meat. We had the meat. You know, they were slaves. They were having scraps. They just didn't like the the, the trek that they were on. But they were complaining about the meat. They weren't grateful for the manna that the Lord was giving them. Um, you know, Mount Sinai. They 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 broke the law by worshiping the golden calf. They wanted to. They wanted you know Aaron to create them. A God that they could worship like the other nations. They weren't content with what the Lord had given them already. Um, at the end of the Old Testament history, you know, they still broke the law by disregarding the Sabbath and and they intermarried by marrying pagan women. The, I mean, this it went on and on. You know, these are just a few examples, but this is the reality. And 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 they themselves they could not bear what this scripture is talking about here, the yoke of the law. They couldn't bear to carry it. And this was a critical error they made. They couldn't carry it themselves, but yet they wanted the Gentiles too. You see, they looked at this history under the law with some kind of nostalgia, like, you know, oh, it just gave them warm, fuzzy feelings to remember the past. But they didn't understand. If they would have carefully and truthfully considered their their failing history under the law, they wouldn't have been so quick to try to make the Gentiles submit to this same law. It makes no sense. Paul argues this same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2-3. through 3, And it says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what he's basically saying is, how are you being sanctified? How are you, how did you get saved? How are you being able to live in obedience to God? Is is it is it by faith or is it by your flesh? And obviously we know that our flesh is weak, our flesh is corrupt, our flesh wants to go the other way and sin flares up inside of us all the time. So it's not by the flesh. It's clearly by faith in Christ. If the law does not save us, why would we even want to return to it and try to live under it? That just seems like it's just going to be just a horrible thing. You don't want to live like that. And and unfortunately, there are many people who claim to know God who live like this. It's a work-based reality. And, it, and what it does, it just buries them deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole of depression and despair because whatever they do, they can never do enough to earn God's favor. They always have to do something else. They always have to go knock on another door and give another flyer and give another little bit of money and it's still not good enough. And so when is it good enough? It's never good enough. It's not about that. It's about receiving the grace and the mercy 
and the salvation freely given in the person of Jesus Christ. In light of the finished work of Jesus, it offends God to go back to the law. This is why Peter asked, why do you test God? We know that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. As God himself, he's the only one able to keep the law. Peter concluded with the observation that it is through grace that all are saved, both Jew and Gentile, and not by obedience to the law. If we are made right with God by grace, then we are not saved by grace and law keeping. We are saved by grace alone. Aren't you so grateful that your performance doesn't dictate whether or not you're going to be accepted into heaven? Within the first hour or two of my day, I would forfeit my chances to get into heaven if it was based on my performance simply because something's going to happen, something's going to break, somebody's going to do something that I didn't think was right and I'm going to say something about it in probably a manner that's not pastor-like or Christian-like. So, I mean, that's just the reality. That's just the truth of the matter. So, I'm grateful that my my salvation and my security in Christ is not based upon my my performance, but it's based upon Christ, you know, dictating or, you know, not dictating, but but deciding from, you know, uh, eternity past that he was going to save and he was going to provide a means of salvation through himself. Praise God that we are covered by his finished work and not our own work. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you again that we can just rest in Christ. Thank you that we have comfort in your son, that we can call you daddy, that we can be close to you, that we don't have to have a distant relationship. It's not it's not this thing that we just dial up a number every so often and all of a sudden we want to talk to you, but you're in our midst every moment of the day. Lord, thank you that you desire that intimate relationship with us. Thank you that you fulfill us in a way that nothing else or no one else can, that you'll never let us down. Lord, you may not give us what we think we need. You're going to give us what we truly need. You may not give us what we want, but you're going to give us what we truly need. And so praise you for that. Praise you that your wisdom is greater than ours. Praise you that your thoughts are greater than ours. Praise you that you allow us to go through uh you know, hard times, Lord, because we can really understand that our faith is real when we go, when our faith is tested. If our faith isn't tested, then we won't recognize what's what's really real in our lives and what's not. Thank you that you keep us despite whatever may go on physically in this world. Our souls will never be touched. Our souls will never be tainted because we've been purchased uh, with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we just want to thank you for that. Thank you that you go before us. Lord, I pray now that you would just speak to the hearts of your people. I pray that you would encourage and convict those that need need it. We all need it. Uh, I pray that you would just help those that don't know you, Lord, that today would be an eye-opening experience, that they would not go on another moment without truly asking the question, have they received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? And it's something that you can do in the quietness of your home, in the stillness of your heart, just simply asking, inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to live forever, to be the Savior and Lord of your life. It's as simple as that. 
We don't need to bring psychology and complex thinking into it. It's simply a matter of faith, understanding that you're a wretched sinner and that you need mercy and grace to fall upon your life. So, Father, please just do the supernatural work that only you can do. Thank you that you've spoken to us through your word. Now may you give us the ability and the effectiveness to apply what we have learned to our lives. May you give us the ability to live out these principles. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.